Hello and welcome to the 108th FIS Freight and Commodity Podcast on Wednesday 19th of October. I'm Opani, you can call me Mo. This is a special edition episode as it's Chris Hudson's last appearance as a FIS colleague. For our new listeners, Chris created, maintained and grew this podcast to what it is today. On this week's episode, he'll put his feet up and he'll be on as a guest to give us his take on the markets with a few of his old friends and experts in the markets. We'll talk about the world of FFA's fuel oil and the world of steel. So without further ado, let's get this show on the road. First, let's look at the indexes and movements we've seen in the past two weeks. Uh, since the last podcast, that would be Tuesday 4th of October versus yesterday, Tuesday 18th of October. Uh, so in the dry FFA market, we've seen uh, climbs just as previously, but smaller climbs. So we're looking at Cape Size 5TC, Panamax 4TC, and Supermax 10TC. Uh, Cape Size 5TC uh, increased by 0.11%. Uh, to 18.631, uh, Panamax 4TC uh, slightly more at 1.32% increase to 17.884, and Supermax 10TC uh, slightly increased 0.57% to 18.455 dollars per day. And in the world of iron ore, it continues to reduce. Uh, again, this is a two-week range from the last podcast from 95.5 on Tuesday, 4th of October to 94.8 uh, yesterday at close. And in the world of oil, we've seen the markets calm as people expected a $100 mark. Uh, we've seen a slight reduction of just over 3% from 91.98 to 89.2%. And of course, as expected, seeing 0.5 has slightly reduced by 0.43% to $640 per metric ton. And then over to the wet FFA, we see a completely different direction. Um, we saw a re massive reductions. Now we see massive increases, uh, starting with TD3C uh, world scale. Uh, we've seen 43.92% rise. Uh, to 11.41. Uh, TC2, a slightly uh, smaller increase at 19.78%, uh, closing at 299.44. And TC5, 14.87%, uh, closing at 198.57. And in the world of steel, we see again an opposite direction compared to its previous two week range. Um, so we've seen a reduction of 11%, uh, closing at 661.75. And carbon emission, not as much movement, but again moving in its opposite direction by slightly increasing uh, by 0.28% to close at 67.11 yesterday, uh, Tuesday 18th. Um, so 67.11 euros per metric ton. Okay, so to start with, we have Kerry Dill, our head of business development, giving us his expert view on what's happening in the FFA markets. Thanks a lot, Mo, and good to be back. Well, the Cape Size market for once had a relatively uneventful week over the past week. Um, I'm sure, giving uh, giving owners a little bit of a chance to uh, get their heart rates back on track. Uh, rates ground slowly lower over the on the physical market during the week, uh, throughout last week, really, and into the start of this week. 
Although iron ore shipments rebounded a bit as expected after the Chinese national holidays finished with recovering volumes from Australia and West Africa, there was another decline in weekly volumes from Brazil. With the fall in steel prices, uh, Chinese mills are seeing their margins squeezed, and so Chinese buyers increasing reluc- re- increasingly reluctant, I think, to buy high-grade iron ore, favoring the low and mid-grades that come from Australia instead of that high-grade Brazilian material. In terms of fixtures, the key C5 West Australia to China iron ore route initially firmed up from $9.30 to $9.65 and up to $9.80 at the peak last week, before drifting back down towards nine bucks at the end of last week and being range bound since then at nine to nine point two dollars per metric ton. The lackluster activity out of Brazil has seen the C3 Brazil China rates grinding down slowly, slipping below twenty three dollars this week. I would love to tell you that something more exciting happened on the paper market, but the Cape 5 TC paper has been quite range-bound for most of the past week. Very slight downward drift. The front month uh, Cape 5 TC paper moving from $14,500 last Wednesday to $13,700 value this morning on FIS Live. While the Q1 contract has remained solidly in the doldrums, Marked exactly flat, 7,550 this morning on FIS Live, same level as it was last Wednesday. On Panamax's, lackluster grain demand, ex-Mississippi River and U.S. Gulf combined to drift rates down a little bit last week, particularly in the Atlantic, where mineral demand has also been lackluster. Rates for the TA rounds drifted down towards $18,000 per day delivery SCA jib, while front hull was hovering around $27,000 a day. The Pacific was a little bit better. Uh, Very healthy coal demand, especially from Indonesia to Japan, Korea, and Taiwan. Loads of shipments seeing a 48% volume jump from the previous week to a total of 4.7 million tons of coal lifted. NOPAC grain flows also seemed healthy, keeping rates on the 3A, that is the Pacific Round Voyage, fairly steady and supported above the $17,000 per day mark. On paper, rates did recover a little bit better on the Panamax this week, relatively speaking, than the Capes moving from lows of $16,500 last Thursday to $17,300 today on the front month 4TC average. And the Q1 4TC average valued $11,850 today on FIS Live. Thank you, Kerry. Thanks, Mel. So next up, we've got one of Chris's friends, Ricky, from the Fuel Oil Desk. Uh, They're going to sit and have a conversation about the oil markets. Over to you guys. Friends seems a strong word at this point. Um, so, Ricky, what are we seeing? The oil markets have been all over the place this year, but in the last uh, couple of weeks, what have we seen in the markets? Yeah, I mean, um, a lot of clients have been sitting on hands. Um, obviously, at the beginning of the month, we had um, the expected OPEC meetings. Interestingly enough, obviously, Biden had gone to Saudi Arabia to obviously sit down with the uh, the crown prince to try and and negotiate a way for them to increase production to, you know, alleviate some fears, obviously, with his um, midterms coming up. Um, it was pretty much a wait-and-see approach until um, the, that OPEC meeting, like I said, at the beginning of the month. And obviously, uh, <laughs> it didn't go too well with Biden as OPEC decided to uh, further reduce production um, by 2 million barrels uh, from the original quotas that they um, had come up with. Um, as a result of that, 
we really saw the market almost jump $10 over the course of that week. I mean, Brent was trading around 88 levels and towards the highs, it pushed up to around the 98 levels. Um, consequently, the Brent has started to come off a little bit, back round to those 88 to 90 levels, um, hovering around that mark today. Um, but obviously, it's left uh, President Biden in a, in a difficult situation. Um, he obviously announced at the beginning of the year that he was going to be releasing 180 million barrels from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. Um, they are at the uh, last tranche of that release with f a final 15 million barrels to go. So they're going to be in a difficult p position because, um, you know, if I think the, the only other options on the table for, for Biden are to really continue uh, releasing more oil from that strategic um, reserve, which, again, hasn't been factored into the market. So that could um, obviously create a lot of volatility. Um, but that's just that's my thinking um, you know, for future events, but with their with their hands tied, uh, I'm not really seeing any other options on the table left for the for the U.S. president. Yeah, it's not not gone very well. And if usual U.S. elections will look at oil prices and the incumbent party in power, and it, it's not looking good. He's probably going to be losing the Senate, if not the House, making it very close. So uh, another another Western liberal democracy in. Uh, political discord uh, as this country has had recently as well yeah i mean i i think you know you you hear a lot of rhetoric from the market about you know why doesn't the u.s just produce more oil um the reality is to to go from start to finish um getting the relevant licenses and and, and drilling the wells it actually takes uh, between two and three years so it's not like they can just turn the taps on and and sort their own problem out so um I do feel as though their hands are tied and not sure what options they have on the table other than looking to release more from the um, from the SPR. Yeah, Same is true with the UK and the North Sea with 100 new licences as well. You're not going to see that for, for a few years. But uh, one of the other, I guess, parts of the oil complex, has, which has been really interesting and obviously of great concern to many European countries, has been the gas markets, which have gone nuts since uh, all the, the terrible things happening with Ukraine and the invasion and the cutting off of of Russian gas and the sabotage of the Nord Stream pipeline as well. So what have we seen in the gas markets of late? Yeah, well, as, as we are, are all aware, the, um, you know, the TTF contracts blew out to, to you know, all, not, uh, all new highs. Um, but it's interesting to note that the market has fallen by around 40% since the start of this month. Um, one of the, well, a couple of the reasons for that is that we're experiencing warmer than usual temperatures for this time of year. Um, and also the storage in the UK um, is um, is pretty full. So currently running at around 92% levels. So these factors are easing the concerns over the initial prompt tightness in these markets, hence why we've seen a little bit of weakness, um, you know, throughout this month. Um, on, a, on a slightly uh, similar note, but an interesting one to point out, is the European Commission... Um, are looking at ways of not being so uh, reliant on on others, shall we say, for their for their energy needs. Um, they're pushing the ideas of members actually working together to purchase um, purchase their fuel um, as as a combined thing. So essentially, they have more more leverage over than the rather than the individual countries competing against themselves for the for the supply. Um, they've also they're also um, contemplating whether or not they should be um, using a new LNG benchmark rather than using the TTF, as that tends to um, 
also include uh, the regional um, bottlenecks and infrastructure issues, which basically creates too much volatility within the pricing. So this is definitely um, a a proposal that they're looking at, and I believe that the Commission will be looking at discussing this later on in the week when they have their meeting. You've seen those regional differences. Obviously, you mentioned the TTF, the Dutch contract. And then if you actually looked um, very recently at Spanish gas prices, um, they're falling towards the floor. So you can see these regional differences of actually generally there's an EU concern, but regionally. So maybe it will help things out going forward. Absolutely. On a lighter note, uh, this is probably going to be your last commentary to Chris, Ricky. Um, Could you tell us, one of the most memorable moments uh, with Chris, or perhaps what you missed the most about him. Yeah, I, I think I think it's quite difficult to single single out a um, an individual moment. Um, I think that is quite difficult. There, you know, there's a f- there's a few uh, that spring to mind. Um, one of them is is the Secret Santa uh, purchase of the um, of a book about world history in in um, uh, life size or small chunk uh, chunk size pieces so that it would be a lot more um, easier to digest and interpret um, after having various discussions with Chris about um, you know world history and and things of that nature but I think uh, I think maybe the best way to um, sum Chris up is he's somebody that likes to push and motivate people and is a is a big believer of bringing the best out of people, um, regardless of what they of what they do and how they do it. And I think I think that's one of um, Chris's main attributes, um, and it's going to be one that's going to be missed from the firm. Thank you, Ricky. Next up, we have Chris having a conversation with his old buddy Rob, our steel and scrap broker, uh, who are going to speak about the European HRC and Turkish scrap. Over to you guys. Old buddy, not by the fact that you're old of age, but uh, old in terms of number of years we've known each other. And we need to have your expertise in what's happening in the steel and scrap markets, Rob. So what about starting with scrap? Obviously a very important one for all those yeah, electric arc furnaces and the future of steel anyway. So what have we seen there? Uh, thanks, Chris. That's very kind words about my youth of appearance. Um, yeah, so Turkish scrap. Um to me, it looks like uh, scrap is going to stay range-bound to slightly lower in Turkey. Uh, energy costs may rise further in November for mills. So expecting further production cuts down from around 60% capacity utilisation. Um, while finished steel demand remains poor, um, exports very weak and uncompetitive. Um, and domestic isn't really enough, to be honest. Um, so scrap demand in Turkey should be weaker. However, on the flip side, Indian and Bangladeshi mills demand may continue, uh, or, although for like shred and high quality grades, um, and scrap collection may slow further into the winter, of course. Um, but uh, you know, Asia can't replace Turkish demand, especially for the H- uh, HMS grades. So recyclers selling to Turkey may have to accept some slightly lower pricing. And one of the points which we've not really talked about a massive amount has been the impact of Ukraine war, because they are a large scrap producer. And has that kind of helped with prices? Have you seen us kind of more support in the scrap market now that they've been taken offline? Yeah, we, ha- we have seen some support and, you know, the continued volatility uh, in the market um, as well. But, um, yeah, there, there, there's been more support on the downside. Um, and th- judging by that, it seems to be, be range-bound looking to continue. 
And then on the European side, the so European HRC hot roll coil, what are we seeing in the kind of, of that steel market? Yeah, the North, Northwest European uh, hot roll coil prices that really dropped off. I mean, they've slipped about, uh, you know, 74 uh, and three quarter euros a ton since the end of September. Uh, you know, hungry steel makers have discounted to make sales into the more liquid South European market. Um, the Argus benchmark's fallen from 751 spot 25 on the 30th of September to 676 spot 50 on the 17th of October. You know, mills have battled to reduce high stocks in the face of reduced uh, contractual offtake. Um, so, yeah, mill, mills are taking up significant storage space at off-site warehouses because of the imbalance between supply and demand uh, and are trying to force buyers to take material that they don't really need. Um, as a result, uh, apparent demand has shriveled with service centres trying to whittle down their stock ahead of the financial calendar slash year end. Um, a lack of ex- export options give given high costs and duties uh, into some key markets such as Turkey uh, means Northern European sellers have used Italy as their dumping ground really. Um, Italian mills have been trying to cling to the 700 uh, euros a ton ex-works levels um, above with uh, domestic customers but have to contend with sort of around the 690 uh, euros a ton delivered offers um, from the North European producers. So yeah, I mean mills are are trying not to to spoil the uh, 700 euros a ton in the local North European markets, but they're clearly eager to sell and have lower order books than they had uh, they have been claiming. I remember when we had the discussion when we had really really high prices. What was that? 1200, 1300 dollars a ton? Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's right. I mean, even in the uh, even in the US market, I remember it being around 19, 1950, so 1950 uh, dollars per ton on the US stuff and we we've seen a we've seen a big pullback since then since since the highs, but uh, you know, we, uh, we 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 could see a bit of higher pricing in the near future on the uh, on the US hot rolled market. And you think that that's driven by kind of what factors? Because imagine, you know, in my mind, I'm looking at China, not looking great. Looking at the world economy, not looking great. Uh, looking at UK politics and you just start crying. Um, you know, what is going to be the, the points where you're saying you think there's going to be higher prices? Is this going to be driven by... I am read recently in terms of the production cuts in Europe because they're concerned about what's happening. You know, this is your... The long-term points going forward, but... I like putting people on the hot seat and asking them questions where they look at me like, why are you asking me this question? The longer term view. So we're looking about, you know, we've had really good volumes in the US contract, EU, they've all been growing in the futures markets. Um, But what about pricing? Because volumes are good. This is a growing market. It's a really exciting market. But what about prices? In your own humble opinion, uh, in the next, we've got the end of the year, and then what we're going to be looking for in 2023? Positive, negative, flat line, we're going to be um, well, I mean, I, I, I think in the uh, the European market, um, as I, as I just said, it's it has sold off quite a bit. I think it it really did sort of uh, reach high levels quite fast. Um, so yeah, it has it has dropped off significantly. I think we will find some support in that market, and people are tending to look at the the European versus the US stuff as well. So, I mean, once European hot roll gets to gets to a certain level, I think we see some. Some demand coming back from the buy side, um, driving that up, and you know, depending on uh, on the policies in the US, um, where that's going to put our spreads on the Atlantic Atlantic spread front. Thank you for that lovely commentary, uh, Rob. Which 
will be your last commentary for Chris. Um, so just on a lighter note, uh, could you just tell us one of the most memorable moments with Chris uh, or give us some parting words? Um, yeah, sure. I mean, you know, there's there's not one thing I can say about Chris. Uh, he's been an uh, integral part of uh, of the company and, and the whole podcast and, you know, be, having the opportunity to come on, uh, you know, every, every so often to speak about the markets and, and being able to, to send these podcasts out to clients and potential clients and stuff. You know, we've really seen... Uh, really seen some uh, good feedbacks from from our clients but uh you know he, he he's a great guy and a, and a great friend of mine and i wish him all the best in the future thank you rob so chris this is the last time you will feature on your podcast <laughs> and so i've got a bunch of questions for you I'm just curious and want to know why did you create uh this podcast and how that came about so obviously we had what was a very difficult situation for for everyone when the pandemic started and it was a conversation between uh, a few people going actually what could we do because we're all going to be working from home um we've got clients across the world who could also be working from home and that there's this kind of disconnect so what could we do to actually bring together some people for internal of the company and start thinking about well, what are these issues in commodity markets that we are seeing what's our thoughts on it what are kind of views about other things looking forward uh, and to kind of bring that together in a really easily digestible way uh, and then to be able to put that towards all of our clients so that's where it came from and we obviously did our first ones for those who uh, have been listening through 108 episodes is it now i think yes, correct. um which started in uh, 2020 uh, april 2020 so obviously we had the lockdown here in march at the end of March 2020, and then we moved into and obviously had this discussion about setting up the podcast, which has changed in format quite a lot, but it was just more of a, there's lots of reports and news and everything else flying about. How do we create it and make it in a way which is easy for people? Because there's so many different sites, so many other things going on. How do we bring together the most pertinent points that which we've seen in the last week, two weeks, uh, and put it into a form where we can discuss it, have people's views, um, have special guests in who have perspective or have expertise in certain areas. Um, so that's where the kind of podcast came from uh, and has evolved into, um, I think, two or three different ways of, of, of hosting it. But um, that has what kind of created it and, and why we did it and has been the the kind of central tenet of, of, of the point of producing this on a, a weekly, bi-weekly um, time period and um, I think that most of the people have been quite appreciative of you know you kind of branch through some main topics now and then but you bring in some other expertise and it's um it's a different way of communicating on things because if you're reading all the time day in day out it's nice to have something um I know that there's uh, quite a few people out there who will listen to this on a run for example so you have that kind of 20-30 minute run period at lunchtime you can just put the podcast on and go okay this is what they're thinking about and their opinions and maybe they've got a special guest which I'm particularly interested to to listen to or I just want to have something which is different to what I'm usually doing so that's a kind of originator and what a lot of people are looking at it and why they listen to it and what would you say not trying to interview you here but what were your biggest challenges I mean there's always a challenge of fitting in more stuff uh, mm. when you're going through quite a lot um, so we have you know busy schedules uh, and trying to 
week after week after week go, well, what are the main things we're talking about? What do I actually think about this? Um, can be quite a challenge. And especially bringing together people who were in different locations. So we originally had two of us here in London or people working from home, sorting that out. And then we had someone join from Singapore. You've got people from all over the world who were joining as guests. So that you have a technical point. You have a time zone point. Uh, and just kind of linking up and making it feel like it's one coherent thing rather than thrown together different chunks uh, of, of people talking about different things. So knitting that together has been a, a kind of weekly challenge of, okay, so the, here's this point. How does that flow into that? Does it make sense for this before this? What kind of guests are we going to be having on? When can they do that? Scheduling that weeks ahead and, and bringing all these different people and, and points together in something which you try and stuff into as short time frame as possible. Um, you don't want to be going on for hours on this kind of thing. You you have that kind of Goldilocks window in between 20 to half an hour. Anything longer than that, you're starting to, one, that's quite a lot of content, and two, people are going to have to listen to this. And when they're going to have find in a random hour to, to do that kind of thing. So trying to make it as informative as, as possible in the shortest space as possible and trying to get all the people in the right place at the right time to actually produce it week on week, that's quite something. And when you listen to it, you go, it's, oh, it's just 20 minutes of people talking about stuff, but there's a lot of behind-the-scenes research and, well, what points are we going to do? Because you could do loads of stuff. You could go through every single news page, bring out some things and go, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? Another person, another person. So it's that choice of picking and, and knitting it together has, has been quite uh, a process on a weekly basis. I mm. definitely have less hair than <laughs> I did <laughs> April 2020. Yeah, a few nuggets for those of you who would like to start one one day, perhaps. Um, uh, so do you feel that you achieved what you set out? Uh, I mean, of course, just running it is achieving it in itself. But do you feel that you achieved what you wanted this to be? I think you realize when you do this kind of thing that, one, that there's a quite a lot of people doing it and you're competing for people's attention. And there's so much out there now that, you know, podcasting is taking off hugely in the last few years um but i mean we are a very niche podcast so you think about actually that audience is quite small um but the number of people who've said that they've listened or you you can now have resources for for staff to go well this is a way of explaining it you know for example you've we've got new products uh, battery metals or pulp and paper and you can sit down for 20 minutes and go okay we're going to have special guests coming in and we're going to really go through the industry in as short space as possible and give you that all-in-one thing which you can listen to over and over again in case you've missed a point or anything it's not like a, a static piece of of written material where you go i'd have to sit down and read this and everything. you can it's a it's a completely different medium of of presenting stuff so i think that that has been successful and brokers here other staff members have, have used that as advertising material and ways of education on that it's also got a you know a pretty steady and growing audience not huge but you know it as i said it's kind of a niche industry and i hope that it continues to to grow after that but um it's just part and parcel of what we're, we're offering here you know our main business is obviously brokerage but there's loads of other conversations about innovation conversations about well, what's going on out in the market and just engagement on a on a different plane. So you can have that with social media. You can have that with, with videos. You can have that with conferences. That's not necessarily any of those are our main business. But it still plays as part of the wider footprint of the company. So in the way of filling in of other areas and being a point of contact, 
which is is different to usual business and and helps reinforce the other parts of it i think it's been successful and uh, i think it's got a lot of space to grow and and go forward and i hope that it continues to do that well i accept your challenge chris hudson uh, <laughs> uh then what would you say on a positive note what would you say the most memorable moment for you some of those new markets have been really interesting and, and now you can talk about them on a kind of different level because having been kind of emceeing this you have to have a bit of knowledge to start with and then you have follow-up questions and you kind of it's like you're directing what's the exploration for other people in it so it's quite a nice position to be in that you've got this new market you know, pulp and paper was a, a really good one that we had the special there or you had in terms of an explanation of technical analysis all these random terms which people are going on about and whatever specific term or way of, the, of looking at the market from a technical analysis point of view and you get to direct everyone else who's sitting there listening and they have no way of actually changing what's going on but they can sit there and then they're literally looking at you to go well where's he going to go with the next question why is, why is he going to ask this next bit what's going on there so that's the kind of uh, a memorable point of really going into some of these things which you're aware of but now you get to sit someone down and go right so from my perspective these things make no sense explain it to me or okay if that if you've said this then what about that so that's been a really good kind of memorable point of you've genuinely grown in knowledge over the two years and hopefully listeners who listen to some of those as well have have generally done that too Mm. and also a point of developing that skill and having those questions and and day in day out week after week going how do we make this not boring? Because it's uh, you know we have those summer periods where there's a big lull in markets, or there's just nothing, or it's just exactly the same as it was last week. Okay, that may be the case, but there's still other things to say. There's still other ways of looking at things, or other people who have interesting views, or you can ask longer term things. And, you know, I always like to ask people what their future perspective is and hold them to account, and then oh, lo and behold, they're wrong because you know predictions necessarily like that even the best predictors are never right more often than they are wrong so um that's always a an entertaining point and, and quite fun and then kind of in the same way as historically thinking well if that hadn't happened a counterfactual well what would have been the consequence well it's putting that into the future as well hmm. uh, interesting and, and you also mentioned about uh your listeners and a different perspective hopefully hopefully they took something out of this um is there anything that you feel that the podcast did for your listeners that you didn't expect? There was a weird point that when people recognize you for your voice, and they'll come in and go, ah, you're the, rather than your face. I mean, you think about people who are, who are famous and you, you'd see them in the street. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't hear them in the street. Interesting. So it, it's been odd that maybe most of the people actually have no idea what I look like, which is also a strange thing to think about. Um, so that's been... Although it's quite it's quite difficult because in terms of feedback, you we know how many people are listening just from the metrics on on the podcast. But in terms of the number of comments compared to the number of people listening, it, it's a huge disparity. So mm. actually knowing what people really think, I have I've, I don't know. Mm. So maybe the, you know you need to email in and say, well, actually we like this, we don't like that, and so it can grow and be something more useful for for people who are listening but um yeah it's quite a difficult thing to go you put something out there it's quite vulnerable in a sense you just put something out there and go well, what, what what are people going to think about this or 
maybe the fact that they've said nothing means that it's fine. Well, I've heard, and they say numbers don't lie. So the fact they keep coming back mm. says something in itself. Um, and so now thinking for the future, which I know you really love doing, uh, you sit on your chair like uh, Barack Obama used to in the corner of his room, as Michelle Obama put it. Um, but what would you say your thoughts about the future of the industry? I think you're going into, well, first, geopolitically. We'll go there first because... Right. Politics, right? <laughs> um, you're going to go. probably look like you're going to go into a stage now where there's a lot more disruption. Not disruption in terms of your usual fundamental points of, well, there's a problem here, like actual genuine political instability and a sustained period of that. You know, and just like with with history and the problems you have, you have a swinging pe- pendulum between changes. You go one way and then you'll move back the opposite way. And you've seen that with what's happened with the pandemic, which has had a very long-lasting impact. And I think historically people will look back and go, this was a defining point. And we'll use that for questions on exams. We'll use that for markers in whatever kind of analysis. And that's had a global and long-lasting impact, not just psychologically, but economically and in terms of, for us, commodities and trade. Because you've seen people now go, we were talking about um, European energy sustainability and self-reliance. That changes global trade patterns because now they're not importing as much or looking to implement policies which will reduce imports mm. and looking to be you know, self-sustaining as much as possible for their own energy needs. Okay, then that then impacts other countries and gone, well, what, what about developing countries? You've got India, China, and the new Indias and Chinas, which will be in developing yield, Southeast Asia. They've got really high predicted growth there. They're going to be the ones which are going to be uh, have huge energy demands, huge commodity demands as they move from being a developing economy into a developed economy. And that will change all the trading patterns and things going forward. And then you'll have all the political instability and problems as other countries start challenging for top positions as they develop going forward and all the other points. So geopolitically, you've got to go into a period where having an understanding of what's going on and that longer term perspective can help inform business and mean that you protect against risks. And ultimately, you should be using the services you have to hedge, use those. But having an understanding of what you're doing and what you're trying to hedge against is really important. And that's a a really big challenge for the industry physically because you have to get rid of stuff. And where's it going to go? And having an understanding that certain areas obviously have a trajectory which uh, they put themselves on, be that because of certain things that have happened recently, or that you won't have the stability to be able to put longer-term perspectives on things. So actually you do have that risk of longer-term business and changes. So geopolitically you're going into a period where you're going to have significant change or the increasing potential of big change. Mm. So that will move a lot of things going forward. So that's geopolitically. Yeah. And then technologically, mm-hmm. you obviously have all these things. And especially for uh, broking business and commodities business, you have always the whole point, you know, this is not new, that technology disrupts business. And they'll be changing things from industrial revolution, uh, you know, we're having the next revolution, which is the use of, of technology. So, you know, you always have changes in that. And for a broken business, especially ours, which is a voice-broken business, you have challenges and changes to do that. And the the problem 
or the challenge to accept is that how do you incorporate that with the good things about what currently are doing with the new technological changes you know not throwing the baby out with the bathwater that you have you know technology can give you the opportunities to optimize the way you do things but that means that you have to adapt to that and that some ways of doing things will change mm. um that doesn't mean that you you know there's no merit to the way things are done i mean people always talk about screens and how do you have you know artificial artificial intelligence to predict what you're doing on this kind of thing that will always be part and parcel but you'll still have a human element to all of this mm. and a human understanding to know what's going on especially when you talk about the problems that we're about to face and um, geopolitically politics is driven by people and their decisions therefore having some understanding an ai can't logically predict what the uk government's going to do next because it's mostly illogical and makes no sense mm. and and is day-to-day hand-to-mouth kind of of stuff so you need that kind of human understanding and, and things and that will always be part of it but as i said technology will all Technology will always be a change. And also the fact that you'll be moving forward. So the commodities we use now and are in demand won't necessarily be the ones that will be in demand in 10 years. Hmm. Look at battery metals and the development of battery technology. You have a problem now because you have a bottleneck with increasingly expensive battery metals. What makeup that will be in 10 years will probably be totally different. You had the, I think it's the Swedish scientists who've created a battery which uses sand. You've got people who are now saying that, you know, graphene is going to be the future of battery thing. You know, all these things. What comes out in the future, can't tell you. But you're going to have these changes and therefore the trading patterns and what commodities and who's important will will change. Um, you know, Australia is looking forward itself to being carbon neutral now with a new Labour government. What does that have? No, again, another political point which plays into an economic point because they want to be a huge provider of offset carbon emissions offset. So they're going to be a huge exporter of certain precious metals, rare earth metals, battery metals, and others. So, you know, as a, a country perspective, that may be an area where you go, actually, we want to be in Australia because this is the place where it's going to be happening. Or you're going to look to Europe and go, well, actually, they are quite concerned. The same was happening with the US about um, chip manufacturing, um, battery metals and rare earth metal uh, processing and look to invest significantly in those to be able to take that away because politically again we come back to that word again they're concerned about china having a huge monopoly over that industry so as soon as it does go sour and it does seem from the increasing tension and whose fault that is i'll let everyone else decide but if that's suddenly cut off because for whatever reason you're now completely uh, at odds of what you do with your industry because how are you supposed to develop to all the things that you're you're trying to do to combat climate change if you're going to move into electric vehicles or you know you need to deal with the problem with renewable energy sources that they're not consistent it's not like a gas fire power station where you can just plow it on and it will produce a steady rate is it windy is it sunny and current ways of producing renewables needs a significant involvement of batteries in the way that it currently operates to be able to be fully functioning for a national grid because you can't have up and down up and down up and down national grid does not like that um, for electrical production, and especially when you want to, tr- you know, have your cup of tea in the evening, and oh, sorry, it's not windy, and there's no sun because it's night, no power. So you have these things to to kind of improve. But so all of these play in together with again technology mixing with politics. Looking to the future, there's going to be huge disruption and problems. But staying on top of that, and an understanding and appreciation of what's going on, 
through things like this, through reading in the in the news and having teams which are working on this, I think that you can send yourself in a good stead going forward. But yeah, the industry is going to have significant change as we have with, with all these kind of points. But it's not insurmountable, mm. but it's, it's definitely worth being, okay, I can't resist the change. And there's a definitely a tendency to do that, to go, if I just wait, it will be okay. Mm. And with the way things are going, you've got shipping being included in emissions. You could have increasingly industries which had no regulation being involved in regulation. You're going to have problems with border trade, you know, trade borders and barriers being put up as globalization starts to move away. Because you look at the long history of the human race, to have peaceful, no major war, world wars that we've had, major powers fighting each other, um, to have globalized trade with reducing of barriers and things is abnormal and takes a huge amount of effort and things to sustain that kind of level. So if these start to have knock-on effects on things, the move of everything towards more discord, towards more disorganization will just naturally happen. So being aware of that and going, okay, this is something which is more likely, how do you deal with that? So those are going to be big challenges for the industry, big challenges in terms of cross-border, and then the knock-on effects on on contracts. Well, we we need a new contract because we can't use that one because of problems of import. So we can't base ourselves off this regional one because we're not getting from that region anymore. So a lot of these other points will come into it, and you'll have to have you have to be nimble, you have to be understanding, and you have to have people who have in-depth knowledge of what's going on here to be able to make the right decisions. And they won't always be right, but you can at least put yourself in a good stead to, to be able to deal with those problems going forward. Uh, interesting. I hope you took notes, folks, because uh, that was uh, well said, Chris. And I'm certainly going to miss that. Um, I guess my final question for you, do you have any final words to your friends, clients, FIS, to your listeners? Well, I mean, good luck to you. <laughs> And the rest of the people you're bringing on here. Um, podcast is a really versatile form and I, I've really enjoyed being able to have different guests uh, week on week and, and explore that. And as I said previously, to, to actually really kind of, of learn going forward of, of this industry and especially one where more commodities are going to impact others. Uh, so you have um, shipping now looking for its next fuel and the diversification of, of the fuel sources mm. that now brings into the mix. It's not just, oh, I'll just put some fuel oil in it, and then that's that. Might have to use some gas oil in an echo zone. Um, this is generally, oh, it could be methanol, could be green ammonia, could be, who knows? I might have put, put sales back on it. Hmm. So th there's increasingly more need to kind of diversify your portfolio in terms of, well, I, I'm now affected by these all, all these other things and these factors. So, yeah, and being more in tune with these kind of things going forward and, and for, for all the clients out there, it's not easy. Uh, and especially with the, the overload of information and things that you can find these days. And, you know, which one do you pick? Which is going to be the factor? Mm. If this person's saying that, that one's saying something completely different, how the hell am I supposed to know? So that, that's a real difficulty in it, yeah. Keeping on top of things and, and, and knowing what's going on. Uh, will only stand you in better stead being as informed as possible sometimes that's you know you can't be completely but especially for people who are trading in this environment the we'll wait and it'll be okay approach is going to work out less and less mm. uh, and being on the front foot and being there to start with and asking those questions and being those 
those events and having teams specifically to deal with this kind of stuff will will send you a good stead. And yeah, no, FIS is uh, a a special place and um, will will always be be where I started out and have, have had all that training. And you have a a great bunch of people here who are who are good at what they do. And uh, I hope that you continue and and, and grow and uh, you'll continue to bestow knowledge to uh, those who uh, care to listen on a fortnightly, maybe even back to a weekly basis uh, in the future. Well, the pleasure has been mine. You've laid down foundations here and uh, it's been a pleasure, even though it's been shorter than I expected, but thank you to you. And we look forward to having you as a guest in the future. Thank you very much. That's it for the week, folks. If you want to stay up to date with everything that's happening in the freight and commodity space, then sign up for our app, FIS Live, or follow us on Twitter or LinkedIn. And if you'd like to give us any feedback or suggestions, email us at news at freightinvestor.com. Thank you very much and have a good week.